0: Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat and this day that you have set aside for us to gather together in your presence and worship. Father, I pray that as we open your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it be your voice heard, your words received, and that nothing in me will be involved except that which you've ordained for this purpose. Father, I pray that as we dig into your word today, that you will soften our hearts to receive humbly from you as you instruct us. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen, Amen. Amen. Uh, So today we are in uh, Parsha Matot, Maseh, it's a double Parsha, Um, and as we look through it, it's actually the final two Parsha of the Book of Numbers. And as we look through this Parsha, obviously there's a lot going on, as there is in pretty much every Parsha, when you're running through five, six chapters at a time, it's pretty easy to see a lot of things happening as we go on. Um, but in particular, as we said last week, this is the, the second generation of Israel. The first generation has now entirely died off in the wilderness, as the Lord said would occur, because of their refusal to take the land at the behest of the, the report of the, the ten the evil, report of the ten spies. So this week we are now uh, facing the Jordan River, facing Jericho, as we read last week, and getting ready to cross over um, and wrapping out the final days ...of the journey in the wilderness just before Israel goes into the Promised Land. And so as we look at this week's Parsha, we're actually picking up with the narrative of what we read uh, a couple of weeks ago... ...with uh, Parsha Balach and Bilaam, or Balaam, the, the, the uh, false prophet, and you know, the false prophet that listened to a donkey, and so on and so forth. So as we're looking at this, we're actually picking up with that narrative uh, where it left off. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up in Numbers chapter 31 beginning with verse 1 numbers 31 verse 1 says Adonai I spoke to Moses saying take vengeance on the Midianites for Ben Israel for the children of Israel after you will be afterward you will be gathered to your people so Moses spoke to the people saying mobilize some of your men for battle they will go out against Midian to carry out Adonai's vision vengeance on vision to carry out aites vengeance in Midian Sent into battle 1,000 men from each of the tribes of Israel. So from the, the thousands of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe were assigned 12,000 in all. Moses sent them into battle, 1,000 from each tribe, and with them Phineas uh, the son of Eleazar, the Cohen, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and trumpets <coughs> for signaling. They fought Midian just as Adonai had commanded Moses and killed every male. Uh, so as we look at this, and then it says the people, the five kings that they killed, and then right afterwards they also killed Balaam uh, or Bilam in Hebrew, uh, the son of Beor, uh, with the sword. So as we're looking at this, we realize, like I said, we're picking up with the parsha, uh, with the end of Parsha Balak, uh, where Balaam was asked to come and curse Israel by by Balak. Balaam said, okay, I'll come and curse them, uh, but I can only say, or I'll come to try to curse them, but I can only say what the Lord allows me to say. So he goes out there, and three times he's asked to curse them from different perspectives, and every time the Lord ends up speaking blessing over Israel instead. Uh, As a matter of fact, some of those blessings have actually been adopted into uh, the liturgical service of Judaism, uh, and so the, the Lord kept speaking blessing through him. But we realize that although Bilaam, uh, Bilaam wasn't able to do what he was asked to do, which was to curse Israel, what he was able to do, in fact, was to coerce the Midianites and the Moabites on how they could actually take down Israel, which was through idolatry, which was through uh, fornication and so on and so forth. And so he encourages them to send their women in and that their women will be able to take Israel down. Uh, and then we read about Pinchas and Jammin' the... the uh, uh, ...stick through the the Israelite and the uh, Moabite and ending the the plague and the curse that was upon Israel because of their sins. Uh, But as we realize, as we're looking at this, that Israel, first and foremost, as we move through Scripture, are pretty easily swayed by idolatry. right? We barely get out of Egypt and we're sitting on Sinai. We just witness the presence of the Lord and His voice come forth on Mount Sinai... Moses is gone for a few days too long, we get uncomfortable, and we build a golden cap and say, this is the God that led us out of Egypt. Uh, And as we continue through the journey of our peoples, we continue into the promised land, we don't get very far into our history in the promised land before we're already falling prey to idolatry and falling uh, to sin and walking away from what the Lord has called us to do. But here we have this unique moment in which the nation of Israel, this is the second generation, the first generation is now dead, the second generation, the Lord says, now I want you to have my vengeance. Against the Midianites, and I want you to go and wipe them out or or, or attack them. I uh, says, but I only want a thousand men from each tribe, so twelve thousand men total to go. Now, if this had been the first generation, twelve thousand men—it's a whole country. What do you want us to do with twelve thousand men? How are we going to make this? You bring us out here to die. You bring us out here. to Are they not up graves in Egypt? Are they not a, We're going to continue on and continue on. But the second generation just went, all right, cool, let's do this. They got twelve thousand men together, a thousand from each tribe, and they went into battle. And they fought, and they killed the five kings of Midian. They killed Bilam, the uh, the false prophet, and they rid themselves of this problem. But verse nine gets a little awkward. But Israel also captured women and sons of Midian, along with all their herds and flocks, and plundered all their goods. <laughs> they burned with fire all the Midianite city settlements, as well uh, cities settlements as well as their camps. And then we skip down to verse thirteen. Moses. Eleazar the Cohen and all the princes of the community went to meet them outside the camp, the people that had just fought. They went to meet them outside the camp. Why? Because they had encountered dead bodies, so they weren't actually clean to come into the camp. We just read about this with the para uh, the red heifer, uh, and, and which is the cleansing process for uh, having come into contact with a dead body. So they meet him outside of the camp because these men can't actually come into camp yet because they're unclean. They meet him out there in verse 14, but Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, those returning from the campaign of the war. Uh, Moses says to them, you let all the women live. Why they are the ones, because of the Alam's advice, who caused Bnei Israel to be unfaithful to Adonai in the matter of Peor, so that the plague was upon the community of Adonai. So we've barely made it into the second generation of Israel, short of having the first generation showing them all the wrong things to do. And the second generation goes into battle. The Lord says, go in with just 12,000 men. They're like, all right, cool, let's do this. They go into battle, and they come back, having brought the very women... That were responsible for the fact that they needed to take vengeance on the Midianites in the first place, right? We didn't really learn that lesson very well, so we bring them back, and Moses gets angry and, and, and says, "Now nah, you know, basically, hey, now you're going to cause the whole camp to die off again. Do you really want to be out here another forty years? If not, cool. Kill off any woman that's ever been with a man. Kill off any of the men. Anybody that's had any interaction with uh, with idolatry, uh, and and get rid of them so that they don't bring you down." And they don't prohibit you from actually worshiping the one true and only God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then we go to verse 48. Now, they've actually gotten rid of the people they were supposed to get rid of. So the the temptation, if you would, has been removed. The chance of idolatry has been at least uh, uh, lowered. We go to verse 48. Then the officers over the units of the army, the commanders over thousands and hundreds came to Moses. They said to him, your servants who have counted the heads of the men of war under our command, and not one is missing. So out of 600,000 men of war, uh, 602,000, give or take, uh, uh, men of fighting the age of Israel, they only went to battle with 12,000 men against a nation. They didn't lose a single person. Right, and it's amazing because when we think back just a little bit further into numbers, and we look at the the first generation, and heard the spies come back, so the land is exactly as Lot I said it would. It is absolutely perfect, but we can't take it. The, the nation Israel went, Ugh! Oh, all right, we can't take it. They said they're too big. Literally. We we can't win this battle. Here, the second generation, says going into the nation with twelve thousand men. Sure, you've got six hundred two thousand fighting men. You've probably got enough fighting men to wipe out everybody. Easily With no problem at all. But I only want you to take 12,000. Because 12,000 means you've got to trust in me. And they're preparing. This is a battle in preparation for what's going to happen on the other side of the Jordan. When they cross the Jordan on dry ground. They go into uh, the promised land. And they begin to acquire the land of Eretz Israel. The land that would become Eretz Israel. uh, The land of Israel. And they go into battle. And they've got to trust in the Lord. The the very first uh, two or three battles in the promised land. They didn't have to lift a finger. They just cleaned up the mess when God was done. So they had to learn to trust in the Lord. They had to learn to trust that God was going to bring the victory. And here, not only does he bring the victory, but the Lord provides means by which not a single Israelite fighter died in these battles. So then they bring an offering to the Lord out of uh, thanksgiving because of what the Lord has provided what the Lord has done. And this is this huge, huge thing. But... We continue to move forward into Parsha masseh the, the second Parsha that we read this week. In chapter uh, 33, verse 50, this is now after they uh, brought vengeance on the Midianites, uh, the Lord's vengeance on the Midianites. And they kind of slipped up by bringing some of the women that led them astray in the first place back. And Moses uh, said, hey, you know, that was a really dumb move. You should get rid of them. And then we can we can really talk about this and you can become clean and come back into the camp. Then we go forward to chapter 33, verse 50. Now keep in mind, the Lord is giving us one continual message throughout Scripture, right? As we said earlier in the service, the purpose for Genesis and Revelation is to bring us to Yeshua. And that's true as we look through the Scriptures. As we're looking at the, the journey of Israel, is to show them how to live a righteous life in the Promised Land. So that while they're in the Promised Land, they can lead the nations to faith and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on and so forth. They can be a light into the nations. And as we move into chapter 33, beginning of verse 50, it says, Adonai spoke to Moses along the Jordan, and the plains of, the, of Moab, across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan and the land of Canaan, you must drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. You must destroy all of their idols and cast images and demolish their high places. You will take possession of the land, so you will settle in it, because I have given it to you to possess. You are to divide the land by the lot according to your families to the large, make the inheritance larger, and to the smaller, make the inheritance smaller. Whatever comes out of the lot will be theirs. You are to distribute the inheritance according to your ancestral tribes. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, whoever you allow to remain will become to you, thorns in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land in which you will be living. Then what I have intended to do to them— I will do to you. Now, the Lord is trying to get Israel's attention here because we've already made this mistake over and over again of being able to be turned to idolatry or turned away in, uh, in unfaithfulness to the Lord. But here, after the whole situation with the Midianites and bringing these women back in, the Lord says, All right, listen, one last time, when you go into the Promised Land, get rid of everybody. Get rid of everything, all the high places, all the idols, anything that can lead you astray from me, get rid of it all. Right? But what's interesting is we don't get very far into the book of Joshua before we recognize that Israel's already messed this one up, right? We go to Joshua 9, and you don't have to turn there, but in Joshua 9, we have the the Hivites who come in in kind of costume uh, to Israel and say, Hey, you know, we've come from a long way away. We've heard what the Lord's doing for you, and we're afraid that you may come and stretch out of the land that you're in and and come and attack us too. Uh, Would you make peace with us? Well, the Lord said, don't make peace with anybody. Don't make a treaty with anybody. And Joshua... This great man of God, who said when the ten spies brought Hebrew reports, he said, "No, the land is perfect. Let's go now. Let's go now and take the land." Joshua goes. Okay, well, they signed a treaty. That's fine. He came from law. Obviously, your bread's stale and it's crumbling. He doesn't take it before the Lord. He doesn't plead to the Lord about it. He just signs a treaty with them. And they end up being inhabitants of the land of Israel. The Lord gets angry, and we have everything that, that transpires from there. But these people end up becoming a foreigner in Israel's side. And they ultimately become a people that ends up leading Israel astray. And it's not just the Hittites. Anybody know another people group that became an issue for Israel throughout the the history of, uh, at least through Solomon? They ended up dying, being wiped off the face of the earth sometime shortly thereafter, but at least through Solomon uh, and his kingdom and so on. The the Philistines, in Hebrew, the Pishim, right? The Pishim lived in an area uh, known as Gaza, the the, the, the kind of eastern side, or western side, I'm sorry, of Israel, right on the shore there. And uh, the Pishim or the Philistines Were a people group that Caleb and his uh, tribe, which was Judah, didn't actually drive out of the promised land like they were supposed to. Even though the Lord said, get rid of them, they didn't drive them out. And they ended up becoming a foreign Israel site, become one of the greatest enemies of Israel throughout the history of the the first temple days of Israel. And it became this huge issue. But what's interesting is the Lord says here in this Parsha, says they will become uh, to you barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides They will give you trouble in the land in which you will be living. Then what I had intended to do them, I will do to you. So what was it the Lord wanted to do to the inhabitants of Canaan? Wanted to drive them out of the land. What is it that ends up happening to Israel because they didn't drive all the inhabitants of Canaan out of the land? They're driven out of the land, not once but twice. What's even more interesting is the Philistine, or the Philistines don't even exist today. Their bloodline is gone. As far as we know, there is no uh, uh, descendants of the Philistine left, the Philistines left in the world today, and there hasn't been for a long, long time. But do you realize that the Philistines are still a thorn in Israel, side of farm in their eyes? Because when Rome destroyed Jerusalem, Rome renamed Israel uh, uh, by the Greek name for the Philistines, which was uh, uh, Palestinia, and they renamed the land of Israel to the Greek name for the Philistines, because the Romans realized that Israel's greatest enemy was the Philistines, and they knew if we get Israel out of here, we can slap in the face. You know, the proverbial uh, knight's glove against the face, uh, they slap in the face by changing the name of the land to uh, Palestinian, or as today they call Palestine. And as we look at this, we realize it was a slap in Israel's face, but oddly enough, Throughout the history of what was called by the Roman Empire, Palestine, there has always been a Jewish presence presence, and it's always been recognized as a Jewish land, but when 1948, the land of Israel was reestablished, the Arabs living in that land went, you know what, you know how the Romans smacked Israel across the face was they changed the name of the land to the name of the Philistines, you know what, let's take that name for ourselves and then we can smack them in the face. Like Rome did. So they assumed the name Palestinians uh, in order to continue to be a thorn in Israel's side and a barb uh, in Israel's eyes. And so because the land, the, the, the nation of Israel didn't do what the Lord asked them to hear in this Barsha and drive out the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, today we still have an issue. And guess where the Palestinians, especially right now, a large portion of them reside uh, they're obviously in what's called the West Bank, but it's Samaria, but one of the biggest problems is an area called Gaza, the Gaza Strip, the same place that the Philistines lived, or uh, the largest of masses of the Philistines lived, and it's still an issue, including literally right now, where last night alone, there were over 40 rockets launched out of Gaza into southern Israel. Uh, it's still an issue for Israel, because they didn't do what they were supposed to do in Joshua and Caleb's day. It's still a problem, even though these people don't even exist anymore. It's still a problem for Israel today, a thorn on their side and a barb in their eye. And so as we move through the word of God, what we recognize is this great value in understanding the lesson that the Lord is trying to give us. That if we are part of the people of God, then we have to set aside and get rid of everything that was, as Paul calls, the old man. We have to get rid of all of the high places. All of the things that used to take up all of our interest and our time. All of the things that would take us away from our relationship with the Lord that would hinder our relationship with the Lord. We have to get rid of all of these high places, all of these idols, all of these strongholds in our lives that are going to constantly hold us back and cause us problems. That are going to literally be thorns in our sides and barbs in our eyes. And if we don't actually rid the proverbial name which is our faith in Messiah... The proverbial land of all of its current inhabitants, all of the things that make us ineligible to be close to the presence of the Lord, which are all the things that lead us to sin, then we're not going to be able to fully walk in the trueness of the presence of the Lord as the Lord wants us to do. We go to uh, James chapter 4. By the way, James' name in Hebrew was actually was Jacob. Talk to me after service. I'll tell you why it's named James in most English translations today. It's kind of funny, but I don't feel like getting into it at the moment. Uh, But nonetheless, it's actually Jacob, Jacob, chapter (coughs) 4, verse 1. It says, where do quarrels and conflicts among you come from? Don't they come from this, namely your passions the battle within your body parts? You crave and have not. You murder and you envy, yet you cannot get it. You fight and you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so you may spend it on your passions. In other words, your focus isn't on God. Your focus is on your desires in the flesh, not on God's desires in the spirit. Verse 4, you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This doesn't mean you can't be friends with sinners. Right? Because the way we lead other non-believers to the Lord is through relationship first. They've got to know they can trust us. So it doesn't mean you can't be friends with sinners, but you can't have a foot in both sides. You can't be a believer and also be wrapped up in the ways of the world at the same time. It doesn't work that way. This is what Israel tried to do, and it constantly caused us problems over and over and over again. We've got to get rid of the old man, we've got to get rid of the original inhabitants of the proverbial land. Or do you think that verse five? Or do you think that in vain the Scripture says he's speaking about? It, and I yearns jealously, jealously over the Spirit which he made to dwell in us. But he gives us greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of Adonai, and he shall lift you up. The problem for Israel going into the promised land is that we were still, even though this was the second generation that only knew the provision and the miraculous by the hand of God, this was a generation that was still one foot in the other side and one foot in relationship with the Lord. A lot of times as believers, this is the way we live our lives. So we've got one foot in the body of Messiah and one foot in the world. And we're a little afraid to give up all of this in order to have all of that, lest we lose some of this in, in, in order to get some of that. The reality is, is we really can't have it both. We can't walk faithfully in relationship with the Lord while we're also still wrapped up in the ways of the world. You know what the ways of the world really are—the ways of lost time, the ways of the adversary, the ways of the of uh, the enemy, the ways of the oppressor who stands before the Lord and tries to accuse us against. Uh, in front of the Lord. And and the reality is is that Yeshua came and he died and he offered his blood up that we could be atoned for so that we could become a new man, so that we could become part of the promises of God and the inheritance that was promised to Israel, so that we can become a part of what Israel is always supposed to have and be a part of. We, both Jew and Gentile alike, as becoming believers of Messiah, are grafted natural and unnatural branches into the fatness of the olive tree, which is the promises of God. But we can't actually have those promises if we're still cleaving to the ways of the world. We can't walk in the promised land if we're still hugging on the Philistines. We can't walk in the promised land if we're still dragging along the prostitutes from Indian that led us away from the Lord in the first place. We can't walk in fullness with the Lord if we're still one foot in the old world and the old nature the way we used to be when the Lord gave his life so that we could be made new walk in a new man and in a new nature. That's right. To walk in what God originally intended us to be by His creation, which is filled with the presence of His Ruach, of His Spirit. The Word of God tells us over and over again, if His Spirit is in us, we will not want the ways of the world. Right. If His Spirit is in us, we will be led by it and we should humbly be willing to follow it. Yes. The problem is that sometimes we're willing to sacrifice the presence of the Lord so that we can experience the joys of this world. But the joys of this world will never amount to what the joy of the presence the Lord can really give us. The joys of taking part in all of the mess that goes on in the land of Canaan that God's trying to get rid of in the first place will never bring about the fullness of God's presence in the land of Israel, which God is trying to put there. The reality is that it's not that far into the history of Israel. You're only talking just after Solomon dies. Before they split it into two kingdoms The northern kingdom immediately turns to idolatry Not only immediately turns to idolatry But the first thing that they do When the northern kingdom is established Is they set up idolatrous altars All along the southern perimeter of the northern kingdom So that you couldn't get to the temple Without passing an altar to an idol And feel like Hey, why continue down to Jerusalem? I can just do it here And it wasn't too long after that Before the Lord ridged the northern kingdom Out of the promised land And moves them out and does exactly what he says he's going to do. If you do not rid the land of its inhabitants, I will rid the land of you. And then shortly thereafter, the southern kingdom, who was the only kingdom to still remain faithful, at least to some degree to the Lord, ends up falling off also. And they end up getting driven out of the land. The Lord says, hey, I'm going to give the land the rest that you didn't give it for 70 years. The lamb that uh, the, 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 the rest that you didn't give it, I'm going to give it 70 years of rest to make up for the, the 70 years of Shemitah uh, that you didn't give it when it should have had it. The time that you didn't follow faithfully. That's my batteries die. The times that you didn't follow faithfully in what I had called you to do in its fullness. The times that you didn't walk in faithfulness to everything that I asked of you. I'm going to protect the land. I'm going to restore the land. I will bring you back. I will restore you to my promises. I will make sure that you were brought back to the reality of what I called the nation of Israel to be in the first place. But it's going to take you to getting rid of that old man that you weren't willing to do all of this time. As believers, so often we still walk in the ways of this world. We still walk in the old man. We still give the enemy ground that he does not deserve. We give him uh, legal ground, legal rights in our lives that the Lord's already paid the price for. Yeshua says over and over again, I came to bring freedom. I came to bring freedom to the oppressed. I came to break the chains of bondage. But more often than not, we're (coughs) more than happy to drag the chains of bondage along, while supposedly wanting to walk in the freedom of the Lord. But the reality is we can't have a foot in both worlds. Israel couldn't do it uh, in the promised land. Israel still can't do it today. I wholeheartedly and entirely believe that the Lord has reestablished the land of Israel as a prophetic reality to soon return Messiah. I have no doubt in my mind that the Lord said in the, uh, the, the Tanakh, in the, the scriptures, in the Old Testament, he says, uh, when I restore you, I will never take the land away from you again. I have no doubt in my mind that he's, his word is true and it never comes back unfaithful or void. And I believe that Messiah will come back before the, ch- the chance for Israel to ever be wiped off the face of the earth ever occurs again. But israel today the land of israel today is a secular nation as a whole we are not walking in faithfulness with the lord but you know what's happening in the land of israel in a mighty and powerful way is the gospel he showed the sword the good news of salvation is spreading among our people spreading like a wildfire there are as many messianic jewish believers in the land of israel today as there are messianic jewish believers in the land of, israel, in the land of america there is many messianic jewish believers Jewish people who believe in the promised Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach, in the land of Israel, as there are Jewish believers who believe in the promised Messiah of Israel, Yeshua Mashiach, in America. That's a powerful statement. Because we've been at this game, this Messianic Jewish game, for a lot longer than Israel has. In the modern world, I mean, they've been at it since, you know, for 2,000 years now. But in the modern world, we've been at it for a lot longer than they have. And they're growing rapidly. And we're watching miraculously as people turn their lives to the Lord. And I believe as more and more of Israel's enemies amass against them, more and more of Israel's faithful will turn their hearts faithfully to the Lord. Yes. Because they'll recognize where their help comes from. And as they do, it will literally be, as the scriptures say, as the Lord promised to our forefather Abraham, that it will be like a blessing unto the nations, that the world will be blessed by the Jewish people. And I believe that there is revival occurring now in the body of Messiah because of revival occurring now is yes. in the land of Israel. And as the land of Israel, in a spiritual sense, continues to drive the original inhabitants out, in a spiritual sense, the body of Messiah will follow that. Now, unfortunately, Yeshua says that even somebody like will be led astray, we know that as we draw closer to Messiah that there will be believers that will fall away from the Lord because they still want to cleave To the old ways, you know what? It's not that hard. You don't have to look very far until you see it. There's a lot of synchronization happening in the body of Messiah today. People taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and finding a way to mix it in to make the message of the gospel more palatable. Because heaven forbid we recognize that the gospel is supposed to be offensive. And I don't mean offensive in the sense of I'm going to walk up and kick you in the grill. But offensive in the sense that the purpose of the gospel is to offend sin in our life. So that we're willing to give the Lord rain and walk away from it and turn faithfully and wholeheartedly to Him. The problem for most believers is we haven't quite made that turn. Much less to be able to live that example for others to make the turn and follow us. So I want to encourage you this morning as we read through the Parsha. Uh, as we prepare to move into when we draw closer and closer to the end of the Torah and preparing the cycle back around the Bereshit to recognize that the Lord is reminding us every time we open up his word to make sure that our lives are wholly devoted to him. Amen. That all of the high places of the old man, the original inhabitor of who we were in a sinful, fallen world, are torn down, that the chains are truly broken. And the only way that can happen is through full and humble submission to the Lord. Willingly, not just accepting the sacrifice of Yeshua, but accepting the freedom that comes with it. And walking in that freedom. And I don't mean freedom from the word of God. I mean freedom from the enemy. Mm. And you need to recognize this, and I've said this over and over again. You need to recognize this, that the harder you work to draw closer to the Lord, the harder the enemy is going to work to make sure you don't. And when the enemy rises and starts to fight against you, and, and I don't like to give Hasatan that much credit. He's got a lot of minions doing a lot of stuff for him because he can't be everywhere. Thank God he's not God. Amen. He can't be anywhere. Everywhere. He's just like a general telling people <clears throat> to do. He's got a lot of minions running around that are trying to wreck the body of Messiah. There's a lot of believers in the body of Messiah that are falling prey to it. There's a lot of us in this room that have walked in those very problems and issues. There's a lot of us in this room, there's a lot of us in the body of Messiah that have found true freedom in Messiah. True freedom in the spirit of God from the bondage and the chains of the oppression of the enemy. So that we can put away the old man and walk faithfully in what the Lord has called us to be as a new creation. And I want to encourage you today that if you find yourself, if you find yourself in a place... Where the old man continues to creep up and you recognize that maybe you haven't fully submitted your life to the Lord. That you haven't fully uh, allowed his freedom to have reign in your life. That you have still given the, the enemy grounds, legal ground, that he doesn't legally have rights to. You fall on your face before the Lord. And that as a community and as individuals, we wholeheartedly seek the presence of the Lord and seek the freedom that can only be found in the blood of the Lamb. There are some issues that have to go way deeper. There are some things that are there that are generational. And if you don't believe me, go back and read the word of God. He says the sins of the fathers will continue on to the third and fourth generation. You know the problem with that? Is every time the next generation sins, it continues on three to four more. Every sin that I lived, if my children continue in that sin, that's three to four more generations for each of them. if their children continue in the same sentence, three to four more generations of them, you don't believe in generational curses, you don't believe in generational bondage, you don't believe in generational uh, oppression, you need to go read the word of God because it's there. You want to know why you keep repeating the same cycle over and over and over again? It's because your family did it too. And because you haven't actually allowed the Lord to break that cycle in your life. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you find yourself in that place where, where you just feel like that, that freedom hasn't been found in your life, seek out deliverance. Because there are chains in your life that the Lord wants to break so that your arms can be raised freely and powerfully in the presence of the Lord and His salvation. Yeshua didn't give His life on the cross so that we could continue to walk in bondage to the enemy. He did it so we could be set free from bondage to the enemy. So that we could be restored in the power and dominion over things of this world that we gave to the enemy. So we could be restored in the kingdom of God that we were created to be a part of in the first place. And just like Moses told the second generation, uh, 12,000 men army, 12,000 man army, that came back with some of the very people that led them astray in the first place, get rid of it. Get rid of it out of your life now so you can't be led astray again. We can't keep walking in the same cycle over and over and over and over again. You know, that's the definition of psychosis. Mm-hmm. So you do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You're not going to get it if you keep doing it the same old way. You want to find freedom the Lord? You've got to actually walk in his freedom. Not say you want it and completely walk away from it. We've got to allow the Lord to drive our enemies out from before us. And as we said at the end of the, the, the reading today, I, said, I talked about how that uh, is, is a message that's sent over and over again to Joshua and to Israel before we go into the promised land or as we're going into the promised land. The reality is, is in Joshua that continues on by saying, be strong, be strong, and know that I go before you. Know that I prepare a way for you. And the Lord has in fact gone before you to bring you freedom from the enemy. He's already done the hard work. We just have to walk in it. He's already done the hard part. We don't have to fight the battle. It'd be like Jericho. How much easier would it be if every war that America ever went to, we just had to walk a few laps around the place and watch it collapse. But the reality is, is the Lord has already done the work. The battle's already been won. We just gotta clean up the garbage in our lives. That's something you decided over. And it's time that we turn our hearts to him. It's time that we recognize that we are to walk in the new generation. That we are to walk in the new creation. Because as he says here in James, he says, "Uh, don't you know the scripture, that in vain the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit which he made to dwell in us, but he gives us a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He does in fact, Yearns jealously for the spirit that He's placed in you, and I'm not talking just the Spirit of God, the the Ruach Hakodesh, the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts two and beyond, and so on and so forth. But I'm also talking about the fact that in creation He breathed His breath into you. When you were born, the first thing you did was you inhaled deeply and breathed in the breath of God, and He yearns for that breath and we turn back to Him. It's your breath in our lungs when we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. He imposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Every time we continue to walk in the old man, we're walking in pride. Pride comes before the fall. But when we humbly approach the Lord, it changes the impact of his presence in our lives and it changes the impact of the message that he's placed in our hearts and our lives to the world around us. How many of you want to see revival come? It starts with the body of Messiah Returning faithfully to the Lord Walking away from the old ways If my people who are called by my name Will humble themselves Seek my face And turn from their evil ways He doesn't say I will do this so that you'll return It's as if my people return Then I will heal their land Right? He's going to do his part as soon as we do ours, because he's already done his part. That really allows us to do ours. But first, we've got to turn to him, seek his ways humbly, and walk faithfully in him. Amen. al Amen. Amen. Father, mercies we worship you. Father, we thank you for your Shabbat. We thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you have given us. Your word as a guide, as a roadmap that we can follow to walk faithfully in relationship with you. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you have never forsaken us. That you've never forsaken your people, Israel. That, Father, you promised to bring Mashiach through Israel. You brought Mashiach through Israel so that Israel could be redeemed and restored and be a blessing to the nations with the reality of Mashiach. Father, I thank you that uh, you have opened up the means of salvation for the nations to come in just as salvation is offered to the people of Israel. Father, I thank you that you bring together Jew and non-Jew, one in Messiah, uniquely formed into a uh, spiritual Israel that will continue to be a blessing to the nations. Father, as both Jew and Gentile work uniquely in our callings together as Echad, as a united one. Father, I pray that as we move forward as individuals and as a congregation, that the world will see the power and the might of your presence in our midst, that we will humbly lay our lives before you to serve you fully and entirely, setting aside everything of the old man and walking entirely in new creation. So that we can not only breathe in your wrath, but Lord, so that your spirit can flow from us.